0: Welcome to the UCSF Sports Medicine Podcast, six to eight weeks Perspectives in Medicine. During our program, we continue to cover a variety of hot topics in the sports medicine world and more.
1: Welcome, everyone, to our UCSF Sports Medicine Podcast, six to eight weeks with myself, Dr. Bundia, Dr. Brian Feely, and Dr. Drew Lansdowne. Today, we have the honor and pleasure of having Dr. Sai Tumala on. He is an orthopedic surgery resident at the Mayo Clinic Program in Arizona and a phenomenal basketball player. And a lot of what we want to talk about today is about how he kind of paved his path in basketball, academics, and kind of reviews some of the, probably the challenges and barriers he may have felt as being a South Asian basketball player who played at the highest level. So Dr. Jamal, thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks
2: for having me on, it's great.
1: The first question I have for you, tell us a little bit about your, your early athletic career. How did you get started playing competitive basketball? And what was sports like for you, particularly when you were a youth?
2: I was always kind of a tall, lanky kid, and both well, my parents immigrated from India, so they didn't really understand sports and all that kind of stuff, but when I was growing up, I just kind of naturally gravitated to just doing things outside and being kind of taller than everyone else, being a little bit kind of uncoordinated and whatnot. Basketball was some, someone, someone just kind of took me out of the wing and started letting me play basketball, and now here 20 years later, here I am. So <laughs> it, it was definitely a, a tough journey to start, but uh, a lot of fun along the way.
3: Where did you grow up? Because you said outside basketball, but I can't imagine if you were in Scottsdale, for instance, 120 degree heat was
2: fun to play in. No, it was not. (laughs) It was not. I grew up in Phoenix, so... It's always been hot out here, oh. but most of our courts, when everything's kind of outdoor, you know, we didn't really have a lot of indoor courts, you know, that kind of thing. Especially when I was in middle school and younger, so uh, you just kind of dealt with it. and And the summer months kind of weren't great, but the rest of the year is awesome. Did you end up playing
1: multiple sports when you were younger, or was basketball kind of the main sport that you started with? And and when did you specialize in it?
2: No, I played everything. I played all sports growing up. Baseball. I was a lefty, so I played first base, baseball, nice. and then. Played a little bit of soccer, played a little bit of football, and then kind of, you know, naturally over time, you got to choose what you want to do. So I decided to kind of focus in more on basketball, probably when I was kind of 10, 11, 12 years old, somewhere in that range.
0: Yeah. What did your competitive level look like at that early age? Like, were you on travel teams? Was this, you know,
2: school league, rec league, just for fun? Yeah, I think you start, you know, start playing just for like school team, middle school team. And then you start playing AU basketball. That's kind of when I really started to get more competitive, probably around 11, 12 years old or so. convince convinced my parents to let me go try out for a team. And really, you know, once we started, it was just, let's let's go all in and let's really do this. And so I would probably say, you know, when I was 13, 12, 13 years old, something like that, started hopping on the AU circuit and then you're training year-round, really, from, from that standpoint. Obviously, a lot of that has changed now over the past probably 10 years or so in terms of what that looks like, say, around that age, definitely getting started.
1: Now, speaking of that AAU circuit, as, as you're well aware, you know South Asians aren't very well represented in basketball. There are obviously challenges kind of incorporating in that culture. Did you feel early on, particularly when you were starting before your game was established, that coaches or players are treating you differently because of that? Or did you feel that you were integrated pretty early on once they saw how you were playing?
2: I was always, usually, the only Indian kid on any of the teams that I ever played on growing up. There was definitely a perception that, hey, you're probably not taking this that seriously. Probably more focused in on trying to, you know, do well in school, or the perception that, hey, you're not really an athlete. I think that was definitely something I had to overcome early on those stages, even throughout high school, things like that. I remember I was playing a lot of away games or playing in front of opposing teams, that kind of thing. Definitely, people would throw out kind of offhand comments, things like that. Definitely, kind of unique in that none of my other teammates were really having to deal with those particular things. But at the same time, it's also really cool kind of being the only one sometimes because it really forced you to kind of integrate with everyone around you, figure out what your place was, and then also kind of serve as a little bit of like a a role model or someone for people coming up behind you to talk to kind of about the challenges that you have and and the ways you can get through it. And how did your parents kind of take you integrating in sport? I I ran track
1: in (laughs) college as well, too, and my parents (laughs) were... Like, you're going to play sports, not concentrate on academics. It was a very atypical Indian immigrant mentality. How did you kind of navigate that with your parents?
2: Well, I don't think they really understood it at first. It took them probably three, four years to really understand what what the level of commitment that you needed to have to, to do it at a high level was. But their whole thing was, you know, as long as you do well in school, you can do whatever you want to outside. So that was a big drive for me to do well in school to say, hey, I really want to play basketball. I really want to do this. <clears throat> Once they kind of saw like the way it was developing me in terms of being able to have like a focused plan outside of school, you know, being disciplined, working hard, working towards something, they, they kind of bought in. At that time. It, took them, it took them a lot of time. I still don't think my parents really understand that like what basketball <laughs> is and like the, the ins and outs of it and whatnot. Like my mom would come to all the games and she'd just get excited watching the games, but I don't think she actually understood like all the things that went into it. You know, as, as long as they were there to support me, that's all I could ask for.
0: And as you approached like the collegiate level, what was your plan at that point, you know, after you were finished with basketball? Like, Were you looking towards a career in medicine or is this something that came about later?
2: Not exactly early on. I think if you want to play basketball at, at, at a Division one level or like high major Division one level, it's you're really looking at it as like a career early on. I mean, I put so much time into it all throughout high school, all throughout middle school. It was like let's let's do this. Like let's see if I can if I can go play pro, whether that means here or overseas in, in Europe or what, how to make that a career. But when I started at, at ASU, one of our team docs was he was an orthopedic surgeon, as most team docs are now, which I didn't know that back then, and he kind of like took me under his wing a little bit and we got kind of close and he also happens to be a large Indian man so he he also played college (laughs) basketball too so we just kind of like you know bounce ideas off each other so what that would look like I took some science classes early on in undergrad and I really liked it kind of seemed to be integrated to what I was doing playing sports understanding like my body and 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 how things work so that kind of drove me in that direction a little bit and started to think about that probably you know early on in, in undergrad
1: and how do you manage that I mean obviously taking pre-med and, and, and playing basketball I mean obviously there's a lot of travel you, you can't actually change when labs and stuff were were, were the coaches and uh, pretty flexible at that or was it just kind of like a, a struggle for you to kind of manage all those things and, and succeed academically and get those requirements out of the way
2: yeah once I decided to do it there was definitely like you had to put a plan in place as to how you want to do it as you know the labs are the hardest thing in undergrad is to figure out when you can get those three-hour time blocks because, you know, the, the the practice schedule and the travel schedule is just not accommodating. So what I would try and do is, is organize a lot of stuff in the summer, the like the, the more time-intensive lab courses. And then during the season, when that comes around, you fit things in when you can. I mean, a lot of times I was studying on the plane, flying in, you know, to away games or in hotel rooms later at night. Just kind of making it a priority. Once I decided to commit to do it, went all in and, and wanted to, to figure out, when I could do it, where I could do it, and I was lucky to get some good support too. You know, coaches understood, hey, this is what he wants to do. Was kind of able to get that support, so that was nice. But it was not easy. But I think it's like with anything you want to do; it never gets easier. You just kind of got to commit to it and want to do it.
3: When you were growing up, who were your player role models?
2: Believe it or not, my favorite basketball player growing up is Richard Hamilton. <laughs> Played for the Detroit <laughs> Pistons back in the day. Uh, the mask. I was yeah, with the mask, and I just love watching him play. He was. He was so good off the ball. He could curl screens and was always moving. And I, I just, I like that he was a mid-range player. You just didn't see a lot of mid-range players. And I still don't think you see a lot of those now. But the way he's kind of utilized that niche for him was really cool. I was also a Pistons fan back then, like Chauncey Billups and and all those guys, Tayshaun Prince and, and Ben Wallace. So I was a big Pistons fan when I was growing up. I don't know. That was my favorite player. Do
1: You made that transition from finishing undergrad and then going on to medical school. What was your basketball career at that point? Where did you see yourself going career-wise after that?
2: I was a weekend all-star at medical school. (laughs) That's (laughs) kind of where I transitioned to. Uh, We were kind of lucky. I went to medical school at the University of Hawaii, and we had a, a medical school basketball league but it wasn't just a medical school basketball league and, you know, Hawaii's a small place and there was all the docs in town would form teams. So you see all the subspecialties would have a team. So pediatrics would have a team, surgery would have a team, There'd be all these attendings from all over town. And we had like a big league. So it was a ton of fun. I used to play in that all throughout medical school and just kind of stay fit and, and we were able to do that. Then I also played in other leagues, men's leagues and things like that around town. Wait, but, so which specialty had the best team? <laughs> It was surgery for sure. It's there was no like orthopedic surgery. It was just surgery. Ah, All the all the former like it'd be like guys who played (laughs) lacrosse in college and and a bunch of random sports, but they're always like the most competitive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that feels kind of rigged at that point. (laughs) A little bit. (laughs)
3: And tell us a little bit
1: more now, you know, obviously with the India Rising and, and the Brown Ballers movement, tell us a little bit more about that team, kind of what, how your participation is now and kind of the camaraderie that's in that movement of the South Asians forming a team together and playing basketball at a, at a tournament level.
2: Yeah, that's a really cool community. There's not a lot of, of Indian Americans that play basketball in general, and I probably know most of them through Brown Ballers. And also before that, we did this thing called crossover basketball, which is we would go to India and like host camps. And for some reason, like all the Indian basketball players from different parts of the country would come play. So we all kind of knew each other in this relatively smaller community. But brown ballers kind of came together. This guy Gautam Kapoor he he worked for the NBA and had this idea of hey, let's put together a team of South Asian basketball players and see what we could do. And I remember, he first called me on the phone, and I didn't really believe him because I was I didn't think there was enough players out there that we could really put together a good team. But he called me and said, hey, do you want to do this? And I said. I thought about it for a couple of days and and I realized it'd just be a really cool opportunity to to put us on the map. And there's not just not a lot of, like I said, a lot of role models out there for South Asian basketball players or athletes in general. It was his idea. He came up with it, put it together, reached out to me. And and that's kind of how I became involved in it. And then, as you know, we this is our second year doing it. First year was always a learning trial. You know, we had people flying in from all over. And the, the TBT tournament is is one of those tournaments where it's not a year-round thing. It's like a it's like a once a year like single elimination kind of deal. So you have like a training camp before you're trying to organize everything, figure out the coaches, figure out the players. So we learned a lot that first year and then this this second year I think really we're able to kind of like apply you know what, what we could do and, and I think we had a pretty good time.
3: All right how do you on. balance hold on hold, <laughs> hold on I got a question. So yeah. you're in residency. And you're now going to go to a training camp for basketball. Same How question. You, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How did you convince your spine attendings? You know what? Side can't be here. Cy, sai's <laughs> going to run some pick and rolls here. Um, yeah. Was this a contentious thing for the residents? What did you just do you have good team support with your co-residents or did you just say when side plays ball, side plays ball and they <laughs> code in the call room? Yeah,
2: I wish. I wish that's how it worked. No, it was it, we had planned it out kind of way in advance. Right. So I told him, hey, if we want to do this, I need to know like six months in advance to get the call schedules together and everything. And it worked out really well. I mean, my residents and all my tenants here have been super supportive of it, which is awesome to see obviously it's hard to take that much time off i mean it was only a week off but still taking a you know taking a week off is, is in the middle of like a busy residency is definitely tough but i was super lucky settings okay. were super uh, supportive
3: Okay. I've got a follow-up question. Do you also play on the attendings basketball team there? Because if you play for them, they may feel like, all right, we'll let them go practice a little bit more.
2: Our attendings, we don't have a basketball
3: team here, which is a shame. We need to, we need to change that. I hope you guys have one up there, but not, not here.
0: And then how hard is it even, you know, throughout the year? Cause there's that one week where there's camp games, everything, but through the rest of the year, like maintaining that same level
2: of skill and fitness and like, how are you keeping up with the training? That's always the hardest part. I think the answer to that is you kind of just spit it where you can. I mean, as you get closer to the tournament, I've probably the last two, three months. I was Really making an, an emphasis like to get in, get up early, run, train, all that kind of stuff. And then I, I'm from Phoenix, so I have a lot of like friends in town that that, are, that play pro or they come back for the offseason and whatnot. And we would get in pickup runs or, or training sessions, that kind of thing, whenever I get time. It's definitely not easy, but I also didn't want to go out there and not play well and not play the level where I felt like I could. So that last, you know, that last few months was a was a big push of really getting back in shape. And I think in general, trying to stay fit year round and then just trying to add on that that little burst at the end. Yeah, it's not easy. You guys don't know. Obviously. So oftentimes
3: when we look through, um, so one of the things, especially during interview season in the fall, is residents and medical students are often asking us, what is the benefit of having sports in your CV? Does it really matter? What did being a D1 athlete during being a pre-med teach you that you think you brought on and brought through into residency to make you who you are now?
2: yeah i think and that's not an interview question
3: yeah. you're you're yeah, saying no.
2: <laughs> the hardest thing about that stage of, of my life was trying to balance so many things at once I'm trying to like learn how to shift from all right now you're at practice now you're now, now you're in class now you're studying i think the biggest thing it taught me was just how to like make that shift effectively and then also the time management part is is always going to be important too right i think the hardest part was learning how okay like this is the hours I got to, you know, do these things. This is the hours I got to do these things. How do I shift effectively? And then what do I need to do to be in the right mindset in order to do those things well? You know, I think that's translated really well into residency because it's the same thing. You know, in residency, you're on a rotation for X hours a day. You have conference for these hours a day. And then after conference, you have life, you know, you have your family and things like that you got to deal with and spend time with them too. So understanding how to do that shift effectively and how to be as effective as you can. And that was quite what I learned the most during that time. And then outside of that, I think, Learning how to be with people and how to work with people and understanding athletes and where they come from, that was that was probably the biggest learning experience for me too in, in college. Understanding how high-level athletes think, how high-level organizations function, and and what like kind of emphasis they place on getting their athletes primed and ready to go, but also getting back to sport when when they get hurt because I was hurt too, so I know I know what that feels like. <laughs>
1: Well, in in respect of your time, I know you've got a lot of stuff going on. We'll ask you a final wrap-up question. What's next for you? What's what's kind of looking for you in terms of your future? Uh, what are you going to do after residency? How are you going to continue playing basketball? What's what's next on the horizon for you?
2: I keep telling myself I'm going to play basketball as long as my body lets me. I know one day I'm going to get out there and it's not going to feel right anymore. So uh, I'm going to keep doing that. But as far as you know, career, things like that, another year of residency here, so a year and a half or so, and then uh, move on to fellowship. And uh, I think down the road for me, I'd like to, to work with athletes, take care of teams. It's something that I'm well poised to do. It's kind of a goal for me as, as I move forward uh, and uh, kind of keep keep staying involved in both worlds as much as I can until I can only stay involved and take care of athletes and not playing anymore. That's
1: <laughs> great. Well, Asai, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate you taking time out of the busy residency. And uh, one final question for you, okay? Jordan or
2: Kobe? Who's the best player? I'll take, I'll take Jordan. He was the original guy. He was original, you know, like mold for everybody. So he was the guy.
3: Wait, 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 wait. Why is okay. why is Chris Chris Mullin should be in there, right? Left-handed, <laughs> uh, six-seven, kind of the right size. That's who I thought you were going to say was your role model growing up.
2: Chris Mullen. <laughs> that, that, that's a stretch
3: <laughs> <laughs> underrated definitely underrated dude <laughs> i'll give you that <laughs>
1: well after brian does his typical chris mullen you know fanboy shout out <laughs> well <laughs> we thank you once again everyone for listening to our podcast of six Day weeks you can find us on the web at six to eight weeks and check us out on twitter as well as instagram thank you
0: Thanks for listening to the UCSF Sports Medicine Podcast, Six to Eight Weeks, Perspectives in Medicine. What do you think of this topic? Connect with us now. In addition to finding our contact form, you'll also find our social media links and our entire Six to Eight Weeks episode archive. Help us grow our listenership by liking, subscribing, and sharing everywhere. We're eager to hear from you, and
3: we'll be sending you more great thought-provoking content in less than six to eight weeks.